Well, good morning, everyone. Let me just uh, get this over here. Get rid of those. Let me grab this as well. So, we've been talking about guardrails. You all saw the... Uh, where should we do this? Might do that there. We've been talking about guardrails for the last few weeks. And uh, we're up to number five. Are we all sick of guardrails yet? Do you remember what we heard about last week? Guardrails. Well done. <laughs> Give yourself a clap. Yeah. Guardrails, guardrails. What, who spoke last week? What did we hear about? Money, Rick, that's right. Thank you, absolutely. Rick, um, Rick was awesome, and we've had um, so many great talks about guardrails. Who can tell me what is a guardrail? What's our definition? Come on. Call it out. Protection? Just a random piece of protection? All right, Where, have I got a clicker? I have. Guardrails, here we go. I thought we'd just go through it quickly, because you have heard it for the last four weeks. So let's just sum up really briefly. Guardrails are a system, I think that's important, designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Guardrails direct and protect, not placed in the danger zone. They're placed inside the safety zone. And guardrails, I guess for us, are a standard of behaviour that becomes a matter of conscience. So things that we put in place, thoughts and, and ideas and... Um, little triggers that we put in our own psyche that actually um, do the same sort of thing. They, they point um, you know, our consciences to make sure that we stay on path, that we don't go into dangerous areas. All right, terrific. So, um, most of you are probably aware that my father died of a heart attack when I was you know, reasonably young. And as a result of that, when I had my 40th birthday... The thing that I had to look forward to was Mel made sure that I went for a full workup. My heart was prodded and poked and dye injected and machines used and every test that they could think of because apparently she loves me and didn't want to lose me early. So, I mean, that's nice. Um, and it turns out, Back then, that was a while ago now, back then my heart was okay. Who knows about now? I probably should have a checkup at some stage. But it's when we talk about our hearts, you know, you guys know that, that heart conditions and, and heart failure and heart attacks are one of the leading causes of death in the world today, especially in the Western world. And when it comes to spiritual matters, our hearts are key as well. And so today, our last series on guardrails is all about guardrails for your heart, protecting your heart, why it's important, what we should be doing, how we can protect our heart. Um, because there's actually quite a few similarities. Um, with the work that I do, I have the privilege of being able to go in and actually observe um, and, and record, I guess, different medical procedures. And some of the ones that I love the most are the cardio procedures, the cardiac, the heart procedures. And I am amazed at what these guys can do this day, uh, these days. I, um, I've got a video. I'm not sure if we've got any sound. Have we got a little bit of sound there, Clay? 
Ready? So see the patient's just moving. The head the was... Hey, just go back to the beginning. Just open that while I move just it Just go back to the beginning if this we can. Yeah. Have a look. The patient's okay. actually still partly awake. They're not knocked out. Ready? The head's moving. They, they can... You know, they're a part the of it. And what they do is they go in through one of the large arteries, usually in your groin. If you're a bit queasy, you might want to look away. And they, they put wires up your big artery all the way around Then we'll to your go back heart. to the cranial. And they Just use these yeah. machines and x-rays and scans right. and they okay, use dye to, the to show... And you can see... Please. You can Where see a were. wire in this uh, person's yeah. artery. See, there's the loop of the wire at the top. And that little head at the end, yeah. that's a drill in yeah. someone's artery. And they are drilling away a blockage. You used to have stents and bypasses and all this sort of thing. They can now just drill it out, suck all the stuff out. It's amazing. And they can put all different wires up there. They can put wires that are like a pacemaker onto your heart that if your heart starts having trouble, stress during the um, procedure, they can zap it and get it back into rhythm. They've got other wires that um, deploy things and wires that suck things. And this is all, these, that drill is like the head of it is less than a millimetre in diameter. It is amazing what doctors can do with hearts these days. Absolutely amazing. And just as you can get blockages in your physical heart, you can get heart conditions in your spiritual heart. And today, we want to just have a look at a verse and a couple of ideas that I want to share with you that talk about spiritual heart conditions and the guardrails that we can put in place for our spiritual heart conditions. So let's, um, let's just have a look at a, a couple of things. So first of all, I want to have a look at a Bible verse. It's from Matthew, uh, Matthew 12, 22. I'll stand over here, I think, where I can see it a bit easier. I can't read it up the back there. Um, Matthew 12, 22. If you've got your Bibles or phones, if you want to have a look and read along and, and uh, highlight or anything else, go for it, but obviously easier up on the screen, right? Matthew 12, 22. About halfway through the book of Matthew, and, um, and it's a story about Jesus. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. He healed the man so that he could both speak and see. And the crowd was amazed and asked, could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, all right, catch this. The Pharisees said, no, no wonder. No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Seems like an odd thing to say, right? The only reason Jesus can cast out demons is because Jesus is in league with the demons. This man Jesus, who they've been watching for years, who has done nothing but serve and give and help and heal, and never been aggressive in any way, he must be a devil. But this is what they say. And it's interesting that the Pharisees found it easier to believe that Jesus was a devil, a demon, than he was the promised Messiah that he claimed to be. It's interesting that because Jesus' power threatened their power, and because Jesus' influence on the people undermined their influence on the people, that even though they were looking at 
God himself, they weren't able to recognize him because they were concerned about what it might mean for them. Because their hearts were hard. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he's divided and fighting against himself and his own kingdom's not going to survive. Now, the first thing I love about that is the fact that Jesus knew their, what? Jesus knew their thoughts. Now, imagine the scene, all right? Jesus is in this backwater town, who knows where. I imagine animals and markets and smells and people and crowds and, you know, hay on the roads and who knows what, Roman soldiers marching off in the distance. And the people are bringing all their sick and they bring this demon-possessed man. Jesus heals him. There's going to be people talking. There's going to be people praising. There's going to be people pointing and looking and going, what's going on? There's noise. There's activity. And even though these Pharisees are whispering to each other and just thinking to themselves, Jesus knows their thoughts. Now, that in itself should have been a sign that Jesus is something special, yeah? But then Jesus goes on. And what he, oh, no. what he says is really interesting about a kingdom not being able to stand if it's divided. Because it has many layers of meaning that the people he was talking to would have, would have picked up on. Like the first thing that he's actually doing here is he's pointing out just how illogical the Pharisees' argument is. He's pretty much putting it back in their face saying, Guys, really? Is that the best you could come up with? So that's the first thing. He says, look, you know, how could it be if, if you're accusing me of being a demon and casting out my own demons? Surely if I was a demon, wouldn't I be pleased to witness the emotional agony of a demon-possessed person? Like, why would I under, undermine myself? It's stupid. So that's the first thing he's saying, very clear and obvious. The second thing he's saying is he's actually talking about divided kingdoms or houses, which the Israelite people would have known a lot about. The Israelite kingdom had been divided into the north and the south for generations, into Judah and Israel. The Israelite people recognized in their own time that the spiritual leaders were divided. The Sadducees and the Pharisees would argue about all sorts of things. They could see it in their rulers. The king, the Herod, or, or you know, the, the, the ruler of the Israelite ruler of their people, was divided between wanting to serve, well, himself in most cases, but the people and Rome. They saw these divided houses and kingdoms all around them, and they knew that didn't work. So it just reinforced the stupidity of what the Pharisees were saying. But then there's another level as well. There's another level that talks to our own hearts and lives and our own personal battles. Because denial of sin in our lives, self causes division in each of us. Those inner thoughts which say, well, yeah, but I'm not as bad as that person. Or, but it's just a little lie. Or, 
I'm sure it's not anything God would really care about. There's still acts of rebellion against God's kingdom. And there's still things which actually separate us from God and and turn us away from God and, and create barriers between us and God. And they all start to, they can start to just pile up a little bit. And in 1 John, the Bible says, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And, um, and in just a moment, in the same passage, Jesus even goes a step further to say, you know what, you can tell a tree by the quality of its fruit. And you can tell a person by the quality of their fruit, their actions, their lives. So, look, on a bunch of layers here, Jesus is really giving it to the Pharisees in terms of, um, and I suppose also making a point for the people. So then he keeps going. Now, and if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too. So they will condemn you for what you've said. And I like the way the, new, the Living Translation says it. It says, and if, as you claim, I'm casting out demons by invoking the powers of Satan, then what power do your own people cast them out? What about your disciples? What about your students? The people that you've trained, Mr. Pharisee, the one who's claiming to be able to cast out demons as well, by what power does he do it? Because if you're saying that the only way a demon can be cast out is by someone who has demonic power, which is what they're saying to Jesus, the only way you can do it is because you must be a demon as well, then your guys that you've trained that claim they can do this, they're not going to be real happy because you're saying they're all using demon power too. So Jesus is really having a go at these guys. Like, I love the way he just goes at them, right? So God, okay, so here now we see the flip side. But you know you're seeing the kingdom of God. You know what's happening. But there's something in your heart that is preventing you from accepting it. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Now, in the Old Testament, some of the prophets actually refer to the devil as a strong man. A strong man out to get you. There are the references there. So, so the people may have, knowing their Old Testament Bible, remembered back to some of those references. But the point is clear. What Jesus is saying is, it makes no sense that I would undermine my own kingdom because I'm a demon. But if I'm able to cast out demons, it means that I am using a power that is stronger than any devil. That can only be the power of God. I love the way Jesus puts that. He's using their own words and then expanding upon them in, in um, a really clever way. He's saying you can't rob Satan's kingdom without first overpowering and beating Satan, which is exactly what happened at the cross, which is exactly what happened every time he, he expelled a demon out of a person or healed a person. He was here to conquer the devil. And then he goes on and he says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Anyone who isn't working with me is working against me. 
They're pretty strong words. And then he goes on. He finishes by saying this. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. These people knew that. They were farmers, right? A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. You've all heard it before, right? This concept isn't new. And then he finishes with this. And I tell you this, you're going to have to give an account on Judgment Day. This matters. You know, what we're talking about this morning isn't particularly new, and it's not particularly complicated. But it is extremely important. So what's Jesus saying? Well, Jesus is saying that our behavior will eventually mirror our hearts. The creator of each one of us knows how we're built. He knows how we're operated. And he says, sooner or later, your heart will leak. It's going to ooze. It's going to permeate through your body and come out in your actions. Now, growing up in an Eastern European family as a young boy... I could completely relate to this because whenever we had a big family reunion, you could smell it for days. There was so much garlic. It sounds awful, right? But it was worth it. I'm telling you, it was great food. It's a little bit like that. And any of you who are fathers or any of you who were ever kids, which I'm guessing is everyone, can probably relate to this on another level as well. What happens? It starts to look a little bit like this, right? The battery acid oozes out and it destroys everything around it. That's exactly what we're talking about this morning. Your heart leaks. It oozes through our bodies and it comes out in our actions just like battery acid out of a battery. And we need to guard our hearts. We need to fill them with good. We need to protect them from evil. We need to put guardrails around to protect our hearts against heart conditions, spiritual heart conditions. So, let's just consider, <coughs> pardon me, some of these spiritual heart conditions for a moment. Because if you store these up in your heart, they become a staging ground for serious heart conditions. These emotions need to ding your conscience. They need to be set off alarm bells. And these heart conditions, I would suggest, are some of the world's most destructive heart conditions out there. You're familiar with them all. I don't need to spend a lot of time explaining them. I'm not getting my um, animations, mate. I went to go up one at a time, but that's all right. So we'll get them all at once. Let's just quickly go through them. Hate. Wars and conflicts. Just have a look at what's going on around. Like, hate is running rampant. Um, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I was always told by my mum, don't say hate. Don't say you hate your Brussels sprouts or your whatever it was, beans or carrots. Don't say you hate the girl next door. Hate's such a strong word. Don't say it. Did you ever hear that? Or was that just my generation? Yeah, you, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's people nodding, right? So, hate, right? 
The second one, depression. You know what? Depression is, it's serious. It's a serious medical condition. It's a condition where you don't just feel sad, you feel hopeless, you feel unimportant, tearful, um, empty. It gives you a complete sense of loss and a loss of interest in, in just doing the things that you normally enjoy in life. It's so destructive. I started looking up some stats on depression to share with you this morning. It just made me depressed, so I left them out. Anxiety. Anxiety is crippling. If you've ever been in a situation where you really feel deep anxiety, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and, it, and it's impacting people younger and younger. Like, how can kids under the age of 12 have debilitating anxiety in the Western world, yet they do? It's a serious heart condition. Frustration, a, a sense of insecurity or dissatisfaction that comes from all sorts of unresolved problems or a sense of unfulfilled wants. And the thing with frustration is that it's, it, it just simmers and simmers and builds until one day it just explodes and hurts the people around you. And then cruelty. <coughs> you know, cruelty is an interesting one because when, when we think of cruelty, we think of doing something to, to someone else that inflicts suffering or pain, right? But when you look up the definition of cruelty, the, um, the second half of it is inaction. Not helping someone that you see who's in pain or suffering. Not helping someone who, who's worse off than you. Not helping, you know, the homeless person or the person stuck on the side of the road or whatever it might be. Not helping. That's actually cruelty. Serious heart condition. Greed. Just look at the state of the world. It's absolutely amazing how greed's taking over. Just even the whole, we had a discussion with some people yesterday about the vaccines and, and governments and, you know, just how governments seem to be supporting these big companies just to make more money and they're potentially getting spin-offs. Who knows what's going on? But greed's just running this world, right? And greed is interesting because greed is an assumption that everything around me is for my own consumption. It's all mine. I have a right to whatever I want. And what it does is it separates people. It makes you turn your back on other people. And there's a really interesting five where it says this word for word. Greed is idolatry. Remember all those Old Testament stories where the Israelites would turn to idolatry, they'd start worshipping idols and then, you know, they'd be wiped out because God just could not stand idolatry. And the New Testament says greed is idolatry. Serious heart condition. Anger. Um, you know, anger is an interesting one because anger is an emotion that basically says you hurt me or you took from me and so I'm going to pay you back. That's essentially what it is. And the thing with anger is anger leaks, much like our hearts, anger leaks. It's never isolated to just the relationship that caused the anger in the first place. Anger is one of those things where I get angry with a client at work and come home and yell at my kids. Not because I'm angry at them, anger leaks. 
and jealousy. Jealousy is really, I guess, related to some of the ones above, but it's all about the fact that, you know what? Somebody else got what I deserved. I should have had that. And so what jealousy does is it puts you in a situation where you don't like someone else and you wish ill on someone else, not because of them, but because you don't like your own situation. Your own situation actually causes you to project ill will on others. Have a look. Have a look at that list. How many of those do you struggle with? How many of those have you struggled with? How many of those do you know someone else is struggling with? Like, these heart, spiritual heart conditions are serious. They're rampant. They're all around us. So the question today is, how? How do we build guardrails? How do we protect ourselves from this? How, what, what can we do? What should we do? And I'd suggest to you that if you want to build guardrails for your heart, there's really only one way to protect your heart. King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, above all else, guard your heart. Because everything else, everything about you, flows from your heart. Yeah? So what does it look like to guard your heart? What, what, what is, how does that work? What, what, are you, what do you reckon? I thought we might do a little experiment this morning. Do I have a volunteer or two? Everyone loves to volunteer when they don't know what it's going to be. Could get messy. Could be dangerous. Anyone? Hey, nice. All right, up you come. Give him a hand. That's the way. Okay. So what I've got is a bunch of um, apparatus in here. Let's have a look. We've got, we've got some skewers. Put them there. We've got some wire, nice glittery wire. Yep, we'll put that there. We've got a ruler. That's pretty cool. We've got some tongs, wooden spoon. We've got a whole bunch of things that you can use. These, this is all for you to use, right? Anything up here you can use. Now, these heart conditions that we're talking about, they're like a ping pong ball. And this is like our life. And what happens is that at some point in our life, you've seen the list up there. In fact, if you click the clicker, the list will come back up. No, not that one. Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> and sooner or later, we end up with one of these heart conditions in our life. This is our life. This is you. I'm not going to tell you which one that is. That's private. And the question is, how do we protect our heart from the heart condition? How do we get it out? So you can't lift this up and pour it out. You can't touch it. It has to stay firmly down, right? But how, like, how do you get it out? How do you fix it? Try. Like, I mean, maybe the ruler. Do you kind of go, like, roll it out? Does that work? Or what if you get a few wires and try to drop it down there and fish it out? I don't know. What do you think? It's a bit short. Well, the ruler reaches. You've got a couple of rulers. Look, two rulers. Maybe if you... Maybe if you can just get in there and grab it and kind of, oh, almost. Oh, oh. Oh, it's so hard to move. 
It's not happening. It almost happened. That's why I reached for it. <laughs> no, okay. Thanks, thanks for that. Go grab a seat. Because I'll give you a hint. The only way to get heart conditions out of your heart, the only way to get sin out of your heart, the only way to get anything out of your heart is to fill it with the living waters of the Holy Spirit. You fill your life with the living waters of the Holy Spirit and it will push everything else out. It is the only surefire measure how you can build guardrails around your heart, how you can, how you can combat and deal with any of these things here on the screen. It is really hard to just to try to pluck out anything out of your heart that you don't want in there. And part of the difficulty is that if you pull something out, it leaves a hole. And Jesus spoke about this. In, actually, in the same story that we're reading in Matthew, if you read the same story in Luke, you find Jesus say this. He says, When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arrow places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says... I'll return to the house, to the person that I left. And when he arrives, he finds the house swept clean and put in order because the, th the bad stuff's been taken out. It's been cleaned up. And then he goes, ooh, that looks nice. Why did I ever leave? So he goes and grabs seven mates. They all come in and the poor guy's worse off than he was before. That's what happens when you try to take bad stuff out of your heart. It leaves a hole that will get filled by something. If you want to protect your heart, if you want guardrails around your heart, the only way is to fill it with the living waters of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't remember anything from today, remember that illustration and hopefully you can use it one day. I saw that when I was a young boy. It has stuck with me all my life. And let me show you how it works because you see, Galatians says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Who, who knows this? Off by, this is a verse to learn by heart, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you know what the interesting thing is? When you think about the fruits of the Spirit and what they are, they line up perfectly. Oh, i got my animations back. They line up perfectly with the conditions we were talking about before. God's love completely pushes out the hate. Um, you know, only the Holy Spirit is more powerful to replace any of those things on the left-hand side. When we're talking about depression, God promises our joy. Now, I'm not saying pray and ignore any other medical help. But what I am saying, and actually let me stress it the other way, I am saying there, are, there is lots of help available if anyone's experiencing any of these heart conditions, especially depression, anxiety, some of these. Use that help. There's counselling, there's um, different types of assistance, there's you know, even pharma, pharmacological, whatever it is, traditional, herbal, whatever's working. But go to God first. Lean on Him first. Don't try everything else, and when everything else doesn't work, come back to him and, um, as a last resort. I mean, you're welcome to do that too. He always accepts us. But what I would say is, in all of these things, go to God first. 
Fill your heart with the Holy Spirit and see what impact it has. With all of these, anxiety and peace, God promises a peace that he says, just my peace just doesn't make sense. That's what God says. God says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which is it's above and beyond and, and just so far out of reach of any understanding. You just don't get it. You can't get it. And it will what? It will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit gives us peace to battle the anxiety. He gives us patience to push out any frustration in our lives. He gives us kindness to combat the cruelty. He gives us generosity to combat greed. And it's a kind of generosity that just that makes you notice where you can give. It makes you notice you know, what you can do. All of a sudden, you don't have to be asked to give. You want to give. You start giving away some of your stuff. You start paying it forward. You don't put your trust in your riches, just like Rick spoke about last week. All of a sudden, it's not live, save, give. It's give, then save, and then live. We heard all about that one last week. And the Spirit pushes out guilt and replaces it with faithfulness. You know, guilt's a funny one. Guilt is basically one of those things where it's done in secret. Guilt is when you've hurt someone and they don't know about it. And it just eats away at us. Confess. Ask for forgiveness. Tell someone. It might cause a little bit of, um, uh, of hurt now, but in the long run, it deals with the guilt. He gives us forgiveness that, that pushes out the anger. And he gives us self-control against jealousy. And I was thinking about that one because jealousy really comes down to not liking my situation and wanting something more. But self-control curbs that. It says, no, you know what? You're content. You're okay. You can celebrate what God has done for you and his grace can be sufficient for you. Above all else, else flows from it. And the way you guard your heart is by filling it with the living waters of the Holy Spirit. So, like I said, it's not complicated, it's not new, but it's certainly important. So the question remains, what are you going to do? How are you going to fill your heart with the Holy Spirit? What are you currently doing to help in that regard? What else can you be doing to help in that regard? I was asked actually by someone that said, how, what do I have to do to have more of the Spirit in my life? What do I have to do to have more of God's influence in my life? And straight away, my mind went to a Bible verse I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears me and opens the door, I'll come in. 
And you know, the amazing thing is, you don't actually have to do anything. Sometimes you hear preachers say, you know, you need to read your Bible and you need to do morning devotion and afternoon devotion and you need to pray at least three times a day and you need to, you need to, you need to. You know what? You actually don't need to. All that stuff is good. It's good in building a relationship. If you can spend time with God, with the Spirit, if you can look at the way that He's working around you, if you can identify that, if you can learn to hear His voice and follow His voice, like the story of the sheep following the shepherd's voice because they know their shepherd. That's all great. But all you have to do is ask him to come in. And you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this sermon and um, I was thinking, yeah, but there are times in my life when I've felt that, you know what, my heart is so far gone that I'm not even sure that a renovation's going to work. And it was interesting, this verse came up just this last week. And Jesus promises, you know what? I can give you a new heart. And I can put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart. And I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. You know what? Even if you feel that your heart is just too far gone, he can give you a transplant. And I think that's really what it comes down to. God's not interested in half your heart. If you've given him half your heart, it's not going to work. Because the other half could be rotting away with those conditions we were talking about. You've got to be committed. You've got to have, he just wants that wholehearted commitment. And I was thinking about wholehearted commitment and and uh, Mel and I were talking about this just a few days ago, and I remembered a story that will forever live in my memory. I was brought up, my father grew up in, uh, in Europe, in snowy countries in Poland, and he used to ski to school every day. He loved skiing. And so when I was a um, you know, young kid, I started skiing from the age of three. I love snow skiing. And it was something that all my life I wanted my kids to be able to enjoy as well. And even though, you know, it's, it's not a cheap sport and there's all the hassles and, and barriers and whatever else, I've, I really wanted my kids to have that experience. And so we've been able to take the kids skiing a couple of times. And I remember on one occasion, one of the things that I love most, and I wanted to grab some photos, but we've had some technical difficulties this morning at my end, um, is I love airtime. I love the jumps. I love going to the big snowboard park where the biggest jumps are, or sometimes if you go to Perisher, they've got the big jumps out the front. Or sometimes at Blue Cow over the back, they've got a really nice big jump park that they use for competitions. And I just, I love hitting those jumps. And so one of the things that I wanted for my kids, and I've got some great stories about some of the jumps. There was one jump where I actually hit the cables at the top of a T-bar and completely knocked myself out. I hit it so hard. But we've got this lovely photo of 20-something, 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 20-something snowboarders at the top of the big jumps on the snowboard park, and then Chelsea, who looks about this big. And um, it was on that same trip <coughs> that Cooper was saying to me, he wasn't, I mean, it was probably about four or five years ago now, and Cooper was saying to me, Dad, I want to learn how to do jumps. I want to do more jumps. I want to get bigger jumps, higher jumps. So we started on some little ones, and we were getting bigger, and we are getting bigger, and we are getting bigger, and we got to some 
big jumps. And he said, Dad, I want to do that one. And I said, Son, you might be better with that one. It's a little bit smaller. He said, No, I want to do that one. And we were watching other people going over, and it looked amazing, and they were getting some great tricks and air and all the rest. We said, I want to do that one. Now, the problem with these jumps are, the big ones are, they're built on a mound of snow. And on the top of the mound, they build a little ramp for the kicker. And usually what happens is, so you've got this mound, then you've got this ramp at the top with a flat bit at the end, and there's usually all this lumpy, rocky, yucky stuff underneath. So you've got to clear it. You've got to commit. Because if you don't, what happens to you is what happened to Cooper the first time. Basically, he went up to the top. He was going too slow, and he just fell down probably about that high into just these ice boulders. wasn't great. So the second time, I said, look, are you sure you want to do this? He said, yeah, Dad, I want to do this. I said, all right, son, you're going to have to commit a little bit more. There's no snow plowing on the way down the jump. you just got to go. you got to commit. So I went down the, the side of the jump a bit with the camera because I'm thinking, this could be good. We'll see. I'm waiting there, and Cooper commits. And I couldn't really see him because he was behind the jump from where I was, but he, he, he came tearing down. He hit the jump, and he just went far enough to get over the lumpy stuff and landed flat on the flat part of the top. And he just went everywhere because he just basically went plop. Got to commit. He's like, all right. I said, look, son, do you want to do it or not? He's like, yeah, I want to do it. Actually, he's here. I didn't even tell him I was going to use this story. It was a last-minute thing. And is it all right if I tell the story? All right. (laughs) Too late. (laughs) Bad dad. And um, I said, mate, you've got to commit. And actually, it was interesting because I never realized this. He only told me this, I think, in the last week or two. And so what he did, I went back down and said, look, I'll come down and take a photo again or a video. Hit this jump. I need you to commit wholeheartedly. Now, what he told me just the other day was, what he did was he then went to where I had told him to launch from and he walked up the mountain and he just kept going. And he got to the top, to where he thought it was high enough, and he just went straight down. So I had the video camera rolling on the bottom of the jump. I didn't even see him come off. He hit that thing so hard, he went straight up. He cleared the whole downward ramp and landed in the bushes on the flat (laughs) 10 metres over there. I couldn't even video the landing because there were too many trees between me and him. He launched. It was amazing. I did go running over thinking he'd probably broken something and he was quite sore, but he was okay. But, mate, he hit that thing wholeheartedly. He committed wholeheartedly. And if nothing else, when we talk about filling your life with the Holy Spirit this morning, all you have to do is open the door and ask. And all you have to do is commit wholeheartedly. If you can do that, that will be the most effective guardrail you could ever put around your heart. And it will not only make a difference in your life, It'll make a difference in your friends' lives. It'll make a difference in your workplace or school's lives. It'll make a difference in this church's lives. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Jesus Christ. Guard your hearts.
Ask the Spirit into your life this morning, is my prayer. Let's close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you that you are our creator, that you are our saviour, to the day that we will be raised to be with you in heaven forever because you have defeated the devil. And help us not to wait for the second coming, but to cling to you now, each and every day, to hold you dear whenever we go through any challenges or surprises or disappointments or hardships or when people are being mean to us or when people are being angry about us or when things are going bad or, or businesses, school isn't going the way we want it to. Help us just to hang on to you all the more tighter is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.